Morning, Crosswalk. It is campus day here, uh, but we wanted you to enjoy that bumper video one last time, because it's a good one, new wine. Uh, but it's campus day here at Crosswalk, and again, for two weeks in a row, I praise you for coming inside when the sun is outside. I want you to know I don't take it for granted, because that's hard in the Pacific Northwest. So thank you, because today is an important day for us. As I said, campus day means a couple of things, but for the kids, it means we're all meeting together today. Um, I know some of our kids have some concerts in different places, but if you're a kid in the room, the word for the day is love well. So you need to count how many times I say the word love well, and then find teacher Megan afterwards who has Valentine's Day gifts for you. And that is a warning to all of you gentlemen out there, Valentine's Day is coming. Okay, uh, and, and I also just, because I know the couple on the front row may not be here next Sabbath or the Sabbath after because there's a little one, a little one coming. It's called natural church growth, people. And we are, we encourage it. Uh, so uh, anyway, um, so love well is the word. I've said it three times already. You're welcome. Before we begin, uh, though, officially, please note that tomorrow is our new series for Easter um, called The Invitation. And the invitation for you is that you will take this time to study with, I mean, certainly study on your own, but also think about studying with another person um, as we go through this seven-week series leading up to and through the crucifixion. Um, and as a part of that, there are, uh, I think, maybe, possibly, maybe, no? I can't advance it. There we go. Oh, stop it. Spoiler alert. There we go. Um, all right, so if you don't have the Crosswalk Church app, then we encourage you to download that. We're making changes to that all the time right now to make it even better for you. But you can get all sorts of stuff on there from events to signups to all sorts of things. Um, or uh, you can get the series guide there. We've got a few in the back that are unbound. Next week they'll be bound. You can take those if you want paper. You can hit the QR code and join a connect group to study deeper during this time. But whatever the case, we hope you'll go on this journey of study with us. Our hope and prayer, which we ask for you to pray about as well, is that there'll be somebody in this time through this season that will accept the invitation to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Um, and so that's what it's about. Please keep us in prayer through that. And with that said, our overarching theme for today is, you've already seen it, the love well way. We're going to talk about what it means to live loving well. And it's called the love well way. To begin our journey, I am honored today and excited to be able to share a statement with you that your crosswalk teaching team has been working on for the last several weeks. It is a statement that all of the leaders and pastors at all of our crosswalk communities have affirmed, uh, which is eight campuses, no, seven campuses in eight level groups right now. And all of us are reading this statement today on our different campuses. We are all, even though I'll have it on the screen, we're also using a piece of paper for a more tactile experience. But this statement is important to us because this is how we expect to go through this year, and what you can expect from us and what we hope to expect from you. Um, and what we're hoping to do is then splice all the videos together and do a social media post so everybody knows 
where we at Crosswalk stand as we go through this year. So, here we go. The Lovewell Statement. Good morning. This message comes to you from the teaching team at Crosswalk Global Network of Churches and all the other pastors who have signed on to this message. We live in a contentious world and in contentious times. Our communities of belonging are not immune to the whims of history, politics, and culture, and as such, we think it is essential to share our intentions for the upcoming season. We intend to continue to preach God's word and follow wherever Christ leads. Thus far, you have chosen to trust us, and we ask for your confidence, even as we speak the words of Jesus that might be interpreted as uncomfortable. We commit to being on your side. As communities of belonging, we are called to abide with one another in and out of season. The person to your left and right is a brother and sister in Christ, and we ask you to treat each person as such. We commit to generosity in listening to your opinions and thoughts and ask for that same benevolence as you listen to us preach each week. We commit to the uncomfortable rhetoric of love that Jesus preached. The elemental love of Jesus will carry us through anything less and our communities will fall apart. We commit to being your pastors even if we disagree. We commit to the realization that the words of Jesus are not apolitical, but that his politics of the kingdom transcend the empires of this world. And our allegiances must be first and foremost to him and his father's kingdom. We love being your pastors. We love trusting you. Sacred work requires prayer and commitment. As we do this work together, we ask that you continue to take seriously the call to live beyond the world we see and to love well. That's our commitment. Thank you, thank you. And that'll be something that we probably will refer to as we go throughout this year, um, as something to continue to lead and guide and help hold each other accountable for it. But we wanted to be clear on where we stand. So with that, uh, we wanted to actually lean into the spirit of that by talking today about what it means to lean into truly loving well. It's one thing to say we love well. It's another thing to practice what it means to love well when it's really hard, when the rubber meets the road, when it's difficult to, uh, you're in difficult circumstances, or uh, you, uh, you're learning to see past someone's political leanings or their stated beliefs or their lifestyle cho choices and see each other as a human child of God and treat each other accordingly. And I do have to say as a human, it, it sounds weird, but to see each other as human because I feel like it's easier to attack someone when we dehumanize them. When we dehumanize them, then we can say whatever we want about them. That's why online is dangerous. Just gonna say that if you haven't experienced it or realized it already. Um, because we strip away the humanity of people and then we just go after and attack each other online. So uh, don't do what, what I did recently and go on to a thread because that's the quickest way to lose your faith is to go onto a religious thread of something and see what people really think. And, and you want to like say something back. You want to bring something good into the conversation. You want to bring Jesus into the conversation. And then when you do, it's like, oh, look, he's bringing in Jesus. I'm like, weren't we talking about Jesus? 
One time on a thread, I put, the, I put this comment that just simply said, well, hey, I guess buy their fruit. I guess we'll wait and see, and see what the fruit produces. And the response I got immediately by the trolls um, was, oh, he's using the fruit argument. I'm like, I, I mean, Jesus used it. Sorry. So, so just, just stay away from threads, people. That's, it's just the worst way to go. Um, but, uh, and as we talk about what it means to live into loving well, um, then it, it's, it, our New Wine series was the perfect setup for that, right? Because we talked about what it means to remain in Jesus as Jesus remains in you, to be rooted and grounded in him, to answer the call of discipleship so that we follow him so closely, we get his dust on our shoes, Right, and, and then we talked last week about actually how we do that with the spiritual disciplines. And if you missed any of those, they're all available on our podcast, which is on the app, which is on the website, which is in your ears. So, uh, all sorts of ways for you to engage. But as we abide in him, we go out into the world and do our best to remain in him even when our buttons are pushed, even when our beliefs are attacked, and even when our enemies lash out at us. So today, we're going to see how Jesus responded to a few types of situations like these and see what we can learn. Then we're going to apply those into our world, into a couple of the situations that we could face. And then I'm going to end our time today with a bit of a challenge for you as to how to live all the time, but especially in the month of February. So with that, let me begin by introducing you to a book that was instrumental for me when it comes to this framework that I'm going to give you today. Um, the book is called Love is an Orientation by Andrew Marin. Um, it was written back in 2010 with the expressed interest of trying to build a bridge between the LGBTQ plus community and the Christian church. And to understand his motivation for writing this book, you have to hear his story, which I was privileged to do about two years before this. I saw him in person. And the way he describes his upbringing is that he said he grew up in a Bible-thumping, gay-bashing religious tradition and home, which meant that they fully believed, black and white, that being gay was wrong and a sin, and their job was to call people out of it or condemn them and send them out if they chose to live in that lifestyle. Um, that's how he grew up. That's what he believed. His freshman year in college, his three closest friends came out to him as being gay. Well, then he was taken off his footing. He was shocked and immediately knocked off his authoritative high horse. He went from thinking he had all the answers to be incredibly confused. He loved his friends. He didn't want to lose his friends, but he didn't know how to reconcile their news with his beliefs. What was most amazing about Andrew is how he responded. Instead of immediately tossing his beliefs out the window in order to just embrace his friends, or, uh, and it's, instead of rebuking his friends in order to hold on to his beliefs, Andrew threw himself into the gay community in Chicago, Illinois to learn more. His goal was to ask questions of the gay community, to find out what their motivations were, what they've been through, what they think, how they feel, what motivates them. He was there to learn before he had any response and made any judgment calls. He spent thousands of hours listening to stories. So his conclusions you can disagree with, but he spent thousands of hours listening to stories. So um, out of all this, he started an organization called the Marin Foundation, which, like I said, is trying to keep building bridges between the LGBTQ plus community and 
those community, the, the, the Christian community. One thing Marin offers in his book is a framework as to how you and I can respond like Jesus to tough conversations by elevating those conversations to that which matters most, whether we're talking politics, ideologies, beliefs, and so on. So according to Marin, in the gospel stories, there are 25 times that Jesus is asked a terminal question. A terminal question would be something you would expect a yes or no response to or something that's pretty obvious, pretty black and white. Out of those 25 times, Jesus only gives a terminal response four times. And three of those times come at his trial leading up to his crucifixion. It was like at the end of his life, he's saying, all right, I'm just going to tell you the way it is, right? The other 21 times, Jesus elevates the conversation to shine a light on deeper realities. And those realities are the principles of the kingdom of God. So we'll look at three different examples from the life of Jesus to see what we can learn. First, a question that the Pharisees posed to Jesus in Matthew 22. It says, then the Pharisees met together to plot how they would trap Jesus into saying uh, something that he could be arrested for. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. Uh, you teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Oh, taxes. What a perfect time to bring up taxes. You're welcome. If you've studied the passage before, you know it was a loaded question, right? The Pharisees hated Jesus. He represented everything that would undo all that they had worked for. They had worked hard for their position. They had worked hard compromising with the Roman government in order to be comfortable, uh, right? And their picture of the Messiah to come was the opposite of everything that Jesus was teaching and doing. Right? So they wanted to rid their landscape of Jesus and were hoping to catch him in a trap, catch him into saying something that would either have him arrested or worse. In this case, if he answers yes, they should pay taxes, then the Pharisees um, can turn the people uh, uh, loose on Jesus because they held that Rome was the oppressor and Rome was being funded largely by taxes. So if Jesus says, yeah, pay your taxes, then then he must not be a messiah, right? Surely no Jewish messiah would support financing the ruling empire. However, if Jesus were to answer no, then the Pharisees could turn Jesus over to the Romans for inciting insurrection and encouraging people to revolt against the empire by refusing to pay. So either way, the Pharisees have Jesus cornered, right? Wrong. They obviously didn't know who they were dealing with. Jesus responds, why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are, you stamped, are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Man, they weren't expecting that response. You see, they wanted to bring Jesus down to their level, but Jesus elevated the conversation to another level, a kingdom level, not just to avoid their trap, but to get them to see life from a kingdom perspective. Story two comes to us from John four, when Jesus spends time with a Samaritan woman 
with a wounded past. Here, we read the following verse. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, we're not going to go into depth into all the things that are happening here, but let's do a quick overview. Jews hated Samaritans. Jews would do everything they could to avoid going anywhere near the area of Samaria, but not Jesus, because Jesus doesn't adhere to the same boundaries or divisions or social norms. He goes right into the heart of the conflict, again, to show us what matters most. The Samaritan woman is surprised that a Jewish man would talk to her. Um, what she expected probably, if she ran into someone, is that she expected a Jewish person to call her names, to spit at her, to throw something at her. Um, that's what she expected, but here again, we have Jesus elevating the conversation. They go back and forth about what God offers us all, which is beyond quenching mere physical thirst to spiritual thirst. Um, then Jesus reveals that he knows more about the woman than she could have possibly imagined. He says she has not only had several husbands, but the, woman that, uh, the man that she is with now also is not her husband. Jesus isn't telling her this to condemn her. He is knocking on the door of her heart, trying to see if she'll let him in so that they can have a real, honest conversation. Her response is similar to what ours would be when something gets a little too close to home. We redirect, right? We seek to distract from the hurt. She immediately responds by saying, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? Now, notice how the woman pays Jesus a compliment. She says, well, you must be a prophet, right? But her question is, trying to redirect him somewhere else. Jesus sees through what she is doing and elevates the conversation about how true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And then something stirs in her heart and she responds with a little trepidation and says, says the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then something happens that only happens one other time in Scripture. And the one other time in the Gospels, the one other time is at the end of Jesus' life. Here, early in his ministry, in a land despised by the Jews, to a people that feel unredeemable, to a woman who feels wounded and cast out, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Don't miss what he does here. And what happened to this woman when Jesus elevated the conversation? It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. He not only changed this woman's heart, restored her hope and her joy, but he actually, through her, introduced an entire village of Samaritans to himself as the Messiah craziness, what you can do when you elevate the conversation. One last example. John 8, 
includes the story of a woman caught in the act of adultery. Now again, lots we could unpack here, but for now, the Pharisees again are trying to trap Jesus. And here's what we read. As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. If Jesus approves of her killing, then he'll probably lose favor with the people because he's just another Pharisee with nothing more to offer. If he lets her go, he's a lawbreaker punishable by death. In this instance, Jesus doesn't say anything, not at first. He elevates the conversation by bending down and writing something in the sand. Now, we don't know what he actually wrote in the sand. Some think that he wrote the secret sins of the people that were accusing her. But whatever the case, he stands up at one point and says, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then Jesus bends back down and keeps writing, and one by one, the accusers leave until there is no one left pointing fingers at the woman. Jesus continually elevated the conversation beyond what was expected, and the result was diffusing conflict. The result was expressing love. The result was saving lives. And to what did he eventually elevate those conversations to? Kingdom principles. That which matters most. Kind of like, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The the entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Do you guys ever feel like I'm up here saying the same things week after week after week? If you feel that way, it's because I am. It's no secret. This is what it's all about. And it's so hard for us to live this out because we seem to care more about being right and making sure somebody else knows what we believe and what we believe is true, then we care about learning about the person standing in front of us. Why is that? Why do we have to be right? And why do we have to make sure everybody else knows it? So how do you and I elevate the conversation like Jesus so that we emphasize and live out the two greatest commandments, to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, this is where it gets tough. This is where you might begin to feel uncomfortable. Mind you, I don't have all the answers, nor do I get this right all of the time. But again, I believe elevating our conversation in love honors Jesus' command to love others as he loved us. In case you didn't know, this month is Black History Month. And uh, in honor of that, again, a quote that I love and I share often comes from how Martin Luther King Jr. tried to lead a nonviolent response to the civil rights movement. King wrote in 57 in an essay uh, on the principle of what he called the love-based nonviolent resistance they sought to live. He said, at the center of nonviolence stands the principle of love. In struggling for human dignity, the oppressed people of the world must not allow themselves to become bitter or indulge in hate campaigns. To retaliate with hate and bitterness would do nothing but intensify the hate in the world. 
along the way of life, someone must have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate. This can be done only by projecting the ethics of love to the center of our lives. So, how do we elevate the conversation in the way of Jesus? How do we cut off the chains of hate? How do we live the love well way? Well, first, let's take a political disagreement because I would like to have my tires slashed after the sermon's over. <laughs> no. Um, let's say you are strongly on one side of the political agenda and someone pulls up with a bumper sticker. I always think, little side note, I always think, first of all, uh, I had some friends that saw some bumper stickers recently on the back of a car that were more than frightening. Um, and uh, uh, in Portland, I, I, I do, I am somewhat proud of the fact that if you can't find a bumper sticker that puts your beliefs out there, in Portland, you can just write it on a piece of paper and stick it to your car window. Because, because that's how we are in Portland. You gotta know what we believe. Um, so anyway, uh, somebody pulls up with a bumper sticker or they're sporting a t-shirt promoting the other party's candidate. What if instead of writing that person off as an extremist or seeing their messaging as hate speech, what if we actually walked up to them, invited them out to coffee, and learned their story? You might just find out who they really are, where they come from, what makes them tick, and even what motivates them to vote the way they do. If we practice this, we would be choosing to see past their politics to learn about the person. Maybe that's one way that we could live the love well way. Tough, right? That's why Jesus said the road is narrow that leads to life and only few find it, because it's hard. Now keep in mind, you can't control how the other person might respond, you can only control how you respond. Let's take a statement concerning faith. You feel like you're being attacked. Let's say a person comes up to you and says, I don't believe in your God, and I think you Christians are just a bunch of nationalistic bigots. What if we responded by saying something like, you sound really hurt and angry, and if another Christian or a church treated you badly, I am so sorry. Would you be willing to tell me about your journey and what exactly it is about God and Christians that you don't like? then we just listen. We must learn to listen even when it's hard. We let them rant and rave uh, without getting defensive. Then maybe, once the intensity of the moment passes, maybe you get to really learn more about the person sitting in front of you. Maybe you can even tell them you love them and that likely the God that they don't believe in is a God you don't believe in either. Boy, it gets quiet. And this process could take time. It may not just happen in a moment. Lastly, let's take a statement concerning a difference in belief. Since we started with a book that spoke to issues related to the treatment of our LGBTQ plus community, our family and friends, let's take an example from that thread. Let's say someone comes up to you who's gay and says, do you believe that being gay is a sin? Whether you make it uh, whether you know it or not, this question is often a metric as to whether or not you're a safe person to talk to, okay? They're trying to figure out which side you're on. 
And let me tell you this. If you think you can say, well, yes, but I've been taught to hate the sin and love the sinner, right? In my experience, most in the LGBT plus community hear that line and interpret it this way. Okay, so you think being gay is a sin. You think uh, because I'm gay, I'm sin, so therefore you hate me. I know that's not how you intended it, but that's how they often hear it. So I know it's hard, but you can't say hate the sin, love the sinner. So if you're asked if you believe being gay is a sin, one way to elevate the conversation would be to say something like, why? What have you been told about being gay and sin? Or what would your definition of sin be? Or especially if you don't know their journey, you may ask, before I even attempt to answer that question, would you be willing to share your story with me? What's been your experience in the church with other believers? I believe your role in this situation is first and foremost, as in all the above scenarios, listen. Listen and learn their story. And then prayerfully, led by the Holy Spirit, try to help introduce them to the Jesus of Scripture. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And if God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, I doubt he sent any of you. Our job is to point people to Jesus and let Jesus go to work in their lives. To love one another as he loves us. So that all people everywhere will know we are his disciples by how we love one another. This is the way to love well. To elevate the conversation by listening to others and pointing them to Jesus. And here's a side note. You can disagree with me. It's okay. Because we don't have to agree with one another to listen to one another. And we don't have to agree with one another to love one another. And we don't have to agree with one another to learn from one another. But as Christians, we do have to love one another. As a challenge for you to practice loving well, for the rest of the month of February, we're going to have a love well challenge. The idea is, and Yuli's going to put them out somewhere, we got stickers and cards. You can take a sticker, take a card, take a few, and do something to express love to someone else for the rest of the month of February. That might mean paying for the coffee of the person behind you. It might mean opening the door for somebody whose hands are full, or it might mean taking someone out to coffee who you know you disagree with on something and learning their story. We're not asking you to take pictures and post on social media, do anything like that. This is just for us and our community. But we would love for you to email us, email me, patty at crosswalkvillage.com, email me and tell me your story, tell me what happened. If you took pictures, send those. For now, thank you for listening today. It's heavy on my heart. Thank you for considering what it means to live the love well way. I pray for us to have the courage to follow Jesus wherever he leads, even into the most difficult situations, and to love well. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for 
loving us beyond measure. Thank you for showing us the way to elevate conversations. I know this is hard. I know this is close to home. But God, when the majority of people in the country see Christians as being hateful, something is wrong. Because we are supposed to be known by how we love one another. That's why our mission here at this place, we feel called by you to focus on loving well. So help us to do that when it hits close to home, when it's hard, when the rubber meets the road. And thank you for doing it first. You loved so dangerously that it got you killed. May we be willing to do the same. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for this church and this community. Help us love well. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.